0: knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is gonna be David in this shadow. Goliath is gonna be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it Doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's gonna kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death?
1: hi and welcome to theology gals i'm colleen sharp and my co-host is ashley classic and we're going to be wrapping up our series on complementarianism today but before we do that ashley i saw on twitter that you got a new puppy
2: i did get a new puppy she is so cute we just adopted a nine week old okay i've been struggling to say this but she's a Weimariner. Weimaraner. That sounds right. I think. Do you do you know what Weimaraners yeah, are? I know. Okay. I know exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading all this background history on them and how they they were the dogs of the Weimar Republic in Germany, and they're they, these hunting dogs, and some they call them like silver ghosts. So I know our listeners who've seen Weimaraners before know Weimaraners know what I'm talking about. They're so cute. She has these bright blue eyes and. She's really small right now, but she's got those big old paws. So, so she's she, going to grow. She's going to be a big dog, yeah. They get between 50 and 70 pounds. So okay. So she's going to be a big girl. But this past week we've been so tired because if anyone's ever crate trained a puppy, um, they know that yeah. puppies, puppies don't really wanna go in their crate and they don't wanna really sleep through the night. So we've been we've been kind of exhausted. It's like um, having a baby. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like checking on her every couple hours and she just slept through the night like three nights ago for the first time and we were like so excited. <laughs> like we're so tired, please, please don't whine tonight when we put you in the crate. So yeah. And,
1: and then when they get older, like my dog Jersey, and by the way, I just I just have to say, this is Theology Gals is podcast in real life. You might be able to hear my husband mm-hmm.
2: filling the dishwasher in the background. <laughs> no, I'd like to I'd like to maybe paint the illusion that we we actually f- record this in some fancy studio. But That's
3: right.
2: I know I know that our listeners have heard my cat in the background. In fact, I was listening to I can't remember what episode I wanted to re listen to it to kind of remember what we talked about. And I was like, "Oh, there's my cat." And about five minutes later, I was like, "There she is again. <laughs> and like I'm like, maybe our listeners don't hear that, but they probably do <laughs> oh, right. and and of course,
1: we edit the episodes, and Ashley knows and our listeners don't that about half of the time one of my children, you know, comes and knocks on the door and needs mm-hmm. something which I edit out. so yes, yeah. this, this is podcast podcasting in real life and usually yeah. I record in my room but I'm <laughs> down in the family room because my husband has to go to bed early because he has to wake up early and anyways mm-hmm. um, but when we my dog Jersey now what I was going to say is whenever she gets a treat she runs into her crate and she so she and then if she knows she's in trouble she runs in there too mm-hmm.
2: So they end
1: up liking it I think. yes it's their safe
2: space after right some time. yeah Yeah. Yep. Just not the first. Yeah, and she's nine weeks old. Right. You know, she's just she's just so little, and she's just like, you know, when you take a puppy away from her like litter of friends, Mm -hmm. they're just like, "Where are all my friends?" And so, what's really funny is she. Her name's Freya, by the way. It's from Norse mythology. Which after I after I told like five people that, I was like, "Wow, that sounds really pagan." Like I named my dog after pagan things, but. Or just because it's interesting, I don't know. But anyway, she she's like, "Oh, you took me away from my litter of puppies. Now I'm gonna play with these cats that you have." And my cats are like, "No, no, you're not. I do <laughs> not want anything to do with you. Why are you here?" So her confusion has been very funny. So like, she's what?
1: she's intruded on the on the cat space.
2: Yes. Well, she's just like, "Hey, why don't you play with me?" And the cat's right. like, "No." That, that's
1: how it always was in the beginning with when we would introduce a dog and a cat because mm-hmm. we had we had luther our golden retriever he's a big dog he's um 90 pounds and Dang. and we brought in calvin <laughs> this just sounds kind of funny we had luther and we brought calvin in our cat and at first you know we weren't sure how it was gonna go and it kind of ended up being that Luther wanted to play with Calvin, and Calvin really just had, you know, no interest whatsoever. But then, I think then we got, I'm trying to think if we got Jersey or if we got Missy first, because we had a cat, Missy. And mm-hmm. so when we got Missy, she was the run of the litter, and she was so small, even as a grown cat. She was tiny, tiny. But Luther, she, I think maybe because she came in as a kitten, that's mm-hmm. why that... Uh, you know, uh, she was more accepting of the dogs. So imagine this, this grown cat that looks like a kitten, really looked like about a six month old kitten and would sleep on Luther's paws. So it was mm-hmm. really, really, really sweet. So, well, I'm really excited to get to this episode because we'd been advertising for a while. Please call our voicemail. We want to answer voicemails and we got several really good ones. So I'm really excited about discussing some of the questions that we got. So I think we'll go to a commercial, we'll come back and we'll do a review of our series and answer some of our voicemails.
4: This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network.
0: All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi,
1: welcome to Theology Gals.
2: Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast.
0: Well, welcome to School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on guys? Shine his lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers.
1: Good evening and welcome to The Conversations from the Port.
0: Hello and welcome to Living in the Vine. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Bible Thumping Wingnut
4: podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, 1 network. Check them out at biblethumpingwingnut.com.
1: And we are back. And actually, I thought it might be good just to kind of review our what we've talked about so far is maybe this will be the first time that some people will they might not have heard the other things that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And, and while we kind of started with our compl- what we call complementarianism, part one, I think really it kind of started with eight, with Rachel's episode on eternal subordination of the sun. Yes, that fits right in with this whole series that we've done. Yes, and so on that, and we—I was excited. I, I I did listen to the voicemails already because I was kind of excited just to see what they said, and we did get a question on that, so I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, being able to discuss that a little bit. and So if you haven't listened to that, and maybe you don't know a lot about what eternal subordination of the sun is, I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode because I think Rachel does a good job of giving kind of an introductory summary. I know there's been a lot of confusion on what it is. Why is it important? I have been accused of making too big a deal out of it since that Mm -hmm. episode. But it was actually, I'd followed the, the controversy from when it first started. And it was, and I always thought this is not good, but in my research for that episode and really studying, I realized this is an even bigger deal than I previously realized. And if you go to the website, bobbletumpingwingnut.com, click on Theology Gals, find that episode. I have linked so many articles. If you're still like, I'm not sure I fully understand what it is and why it's a big deal. I would recommend reading rachel's articles and then some other people we link we link some links that take you to all the links in the in (laughs) that controversy but i think that's kind of where it started and then we did a complementarianism episode yeah i'm just
2: i'm looking right now and episode 23 was with rachel miller okay and then episode 25 was our first complementarianism and then Episode 26 was our second one. Right. So, and we are currently on episode p- 33. Three. Yeah.
1: Hey. And so then after the complementarianism part one is what it's called episode, we, and you know, go back and listen to that one. Tim heard from Bible Clumping Wing that thinks it's great because he keeps tweeting it out. <laughs> like every other day I look and Tim's tweeting out our complementarianism part one episode. Yeah. So, but I think I think that was a good introduction to what it is. And one thing I did want to talk about to kind of before I move on to Wendy's actually, and something that we asked Amy Bird, and we'll talk about that episode in a minute, is whether this is really the right word to use. So and tell me where you're at with it.
2: Well, the way I've been kind of thinking about it, and I can't remember if it was Amy or if Rachel said this, um but you know how we've talked a lot about the word reformed and how nowadays the word reformed means something that it did 30 years ago, right. 100 years ago and how you can't redefine the word. So what I what I want to understand is what did the word complementarian mean initially like when that word came about, I believe in the 70s 80s and if if the initial definition was this kind of associated with ESS, um, there's these issues with um, the trinity, with um, maybe some patriarchal views. If that was the initial defining of the word, then I don't want to use the word because I, I don't want to redefine it to make it fit right. what I believe. Um, and I think I think Amy alluded that 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 was the initial defining of the word. So so I need to look into that. Yeah, um, to understand it more, you know, as of right now, I would still like if someone asked me, I'd say, yeah, I'm complementarian, but I would add a qualifier to that. Right, because, I think that's,
1: that's where I'm at,
2: you know, and two years ago, I wouldn't have added a qualifier I'd just been like, yeah, this is just right. This is just what I am. But now now I do see I do see where Rachel's coming from. I see where Amy's coming from on maybe complementarian isn't the best word.
1: Right. I think Amy, I mean, not Amy, I think Wendy said, I don't know if it was built on ESS so much, but on this, on the new understanding that had come out on Genesis 3.16 mm -hmm. and, you know, built on this other understanding, which really changes so many male, female dynamics. And You're you're right. I think it was Wendy. Yeah, it was Wendy who mentioned that. So I, and that's just something, you know, and I had talked to Amy on our episode and said and talked about the gal that came into our group and said, I'm not complementarian. it's not consistent with the confessions. But I think again, and everyone was like, whoa, you know, just automatically assuming she must be egalitarian. And I think that's why I'm hesitant to say I'm not complimentarian is because I think other people would make that same assumption very quickly. And yeah. well, I think what Amy said is that what she says is she's confessional. Right. So I, I could go with that. I think so often we get, Caught up in these definitions,
4: Mm -hmm. reformed
1: reformed is a good one. You know, people who've been upset because they're like, "But I call myself reformed, and I'm not confessional, and I don't." You know, and so labels can be helpful, but yeah, can also cause confusion if we're not defining
2: them the same. Right, and I I didn't know until the last year that complementarian was defined differently than the way I understood it. So you know, I, I think we're all kind of in this learning process, trying to understand what, what does the Bible really say, What what's the most accurate way to just kind of summarize what we believe about, you know, gender and marriage and stuff in Scripture. So um, I, I don't know. We're, we're, it's a process, I guess, is, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No. And
1: so and I don't want to cause confusion. And I think what's happening with ESS, with Genesis 3.16, is that the label complementarianism is causing confusion because a couple things that the ladies we had on said. So, you know, I think that there's, there's some things that we need to consider in that and definitely something that I think is worth discussing more and more in the future.
2: Yeah, and so after we did our first episode on complementarianism, Colleen and I kind of said, okay, we want to dig into this more biblically. So that's, if you haven't already listened to our episode with Wendy Alsup, am I saying her name right? Yes. Okay, if you haven't already listened to our episode with Wendy Alsup about Genesis 3.16, it is really, really worth a listen because it caused a lot of ripples in In me, in the people I've talked to, I mean, I have had so many conversations with people because of that episode and um, with my pastor with, I mean, tons of people just because I just didn't know. I didn't know about this other interpretation of that verse. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, please go back and listen to that episode because it might challenge what you previously understood about Genesis three sixteen, um, because it's like we talked about with Wendy. It's in the literature that we read. You know, the right. the stuff that's advertised to women um, mostly has um, this alternate, you know, kind of uh, interpretation of Genesis three sixteen.
1: Yeah, and if you haven't listened to that episode, I highly recommend it. And also, we should mention Pray for Wendy. She said it on Twitter, so I think it's kind of public that she has cancer and is going to be having surgery. So please keep her in prayer.
2: OK, so after we had our uh, Wendy episode, uh, like Colleen said, please keep her in prayer, uh, we had uh, Amy Bird on. I don't know if that was technically part of our complementarian series. Oh, we absolutely. just we, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we just really wanted to have Amy on. She, she's right. really great. Um, and so she kind of added, you know, some more well, thoughts. So that one, that one would is worth a, a listen to if you. Yeah.
1: When we did this series and asked women in the Facebook group what questions you have, a lot of them centered around what we talked to Amy about. What can women do? You know, where mm-hmm. is a woman's place in the church? Can a woman ever speak? I mean, I, you know, can a woman speak at a conference? Was one of the top questions I got, which yeah. was really surprising to me. When we had her on, somebody put out on Twitter something like, "Is this gonna go over all right with a Bible thumping wingnut?" <laughs> Which it has. Which it right, has. Right, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> one thing I, I do want to say this. I mean, I think. The reason some people said that is because I know that some of the people think that women should be able to speak at conferences to a mixed group and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I had conversations with both Tim Hurd and Andrew Rapp- Rappaport. And, and Tim, at the end of our conversation, Tim was asking me, so do you think a woman can stand on the box and preach on the corner? Because they're big into street preaching. But hmm. honestly, I, I didn't really get into this with them, but that's not really a huge problem. Uh, confessionally reform thing um, preaching on the street corner but I had a good conversation with Andrew actually about that talking about how preaching is done from the pulpit on Sunday mornings
2: yeah and Um, you know what that's what I loved about talking to Amy is how some people might think that we're we're coming off as like against you know the authority of men in a church setting but Amy has such a high view of of Sunday mornings, of the Lord's day, and of just the means of grace and how God uses Sundays to the
1: worship service.
2: The worship service to to build His church, and she, she just holds that in such high regard. So I don't think anyone could listen to that and not not hear that coming through from Amy or from us um, that we we hold the preaching of the word by faithful men. Um, in very, very high regard. We just see that as, I mean, essential, essential to the church. And so I, I just really like that she brought that point home in that episode.
1: Yeah, and and also the leadership of faithful men in the church. You know, we believe it is the men who are sure, the pastor and elders.
2: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. The only thing we, we are pushing back against a little is that Um, we think the pendulum has maybe swung too far, um, in saying that men can't ever learn anything from women, um, because men are men and women are, you know, and it it just, it's kind of, we, we just feel it's, it's a bit, it's just gone a bit too far.
1: Right. Well, and I'll even, I'll even mention something that I even said to Andrew Because when we first started doing the podcast, it was a very, very important that this podcast is for women and, and my, my audience, the people who I am talking to are the ladies I'm I'm not Mm -hmm. denying that, but I don't have a problem with a man listening to our podcast. And what I told Andrew is I said, Ashley and I 90% of the time are just discussing or interviewing Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it does go too far. If a woman's talking theology, then we can't listen to her at all. If, you know, I'm, I think it's a little different. A woman writing a book on suffering, for instance, that may have theological truth.
2: Yeah. The real issue is who is speaking from authority and who is not speaking from authority. You and I right now have zero authority over anyone. I hope everyone listening is clear on that. <laughs> we have zero authority our pastors on sunday who are authority. ordained ministers who have gone through training and who have i mean gosh I've, I've listened to my pastor talk about all he had to go through to become a minister in the opc they have authority and we're me. under
1: their leadership
2: and we're under their leadership there um
1: they watch out for our souls they shepherd us so yeah. when they're standing up there on sunday morning preaching to us that's where they're coming from they are they are shepherd and they're they're the ones we call i you know i think about think about the night i went to the hospital at ten thirty at night with horrible horrible pain in my stomach and got there and got to the er and they took me right in and test after test and They finally figured, the doctor was sure it was a kidney stone, but it was my appendix. Kids were younger, and my dad was watching the kids, and I was about to go in surgery, and I told Brent, rush home, make sure the kids are okay, and then come back. And before I went in surgery, the nurse said, is there anyone you want us to call? And I said, call my pastor. Mm -hmm. And she dialed the number, and it's 6 in the morning. I'm waking him up. She dials the number. And I told him, I said, I'm about to go in and get my appendix out. That's not a, I mean, it's, it's not a super short surgery, but it's not a super long surgery. And he was there. I woke him up and he lived a half an hour from us, but he was there when I got out of surgery. And he came in and sat next to my bed and read scripture and prayed. This is, so a pastor, I mean, they, they're there. He, he was there when, when um, we found out the baby I was carrying had died a pastor isn't just preaching on sunday mornings doing so many things encouraging us during times of suffering watching over our spiritual growth i love i love the fact that in the presbyterian churches i've been in that we have pastoral visitation i'm just grateful to have been in churches with pastors who really do watch you know watch out for me and are aware of what's going on in my life and who's who I trust when they stand in from the pulpit and do the call to worship and preach the sermon.
2: Yeah. And I, I was thinking, I've been thinking a lot about, okay, I'll just get on my soapbox real quick and then I'll get down. But I've been thinking a lot about parachurch organizations and, and how, you know, I understand why there's this confusion about who has authority. Um, I think about there was a time in my life where I followed like every you know, Calvinist type blog possible on Facebook, and so every time I logged on Facebook, it would be like the Gospel Coalition, Desiring God, like you know, all these different um, parachurch organizations that um, you know have these daily blogs, articles, whatever, and I would read them just all the time. I would eat it up, and there's not there's not anything wrong with doing that, right. but I think sometimes we forget. That like John Piper doesn't have authority over me. He's not. Your pastor. Uh, he's not my pastor. My pastor does, and so we need to make sure that we're not giving the same amount of authority to John Piper, Tim Keller, um, John MacArthur that we are to um, our pastor on Sunday morning. Um, in fact, they they shouldn't be given any authority. I mean, we can we can appreciate what they say and say, oh, wow, that was a really good point, you know, John Piper made in that article, just to use him as an example, but um, I I fear sometimes that people are so caught up in reading all these blogs, going to the conferences, um, reading all the books that come out, that they're listening more to these, like, internet pastors than they are to their own pastors on Sunday morning, and that's where we get confused about who has authority over us. Um, and that's where you know someone might get confused about who's allowed to talk at a conference. And I and I know I totally respect the people who who disagree with us on that, um, but we just have to keep in mind that a conference speaker has no authority over us. They are not our pastor, and God has not placed them in authority over right. us. Only our only our pastors do um, at our local churches. Right. Um, so, okay,
1: I think what's happening is those parachurch organizations are given authority by
2: some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? And I, I think someday we'll have to come back and do a whole
1: yeah. episode on we parachurch, a whole
2: episode on parachurch organizations, uh, like literally could talk about parachurch so for like another hour.
1: Hopefully this is going to work. I'm going to play the first one and hopefully I'm playing it literally from my tablet to my microphone. Cause I'm so not tech savvy to play it mm-hmm. right from my computer. So, um, and I'm just gonna go in order as they came in. Sure. Um, I am so excited. Oh, they're great voicemails. So now I just lost them. Okay, hold on. Okay, here they are. Okay, I'm gonna play the first voicemail.
3: Hi, this is Crystal Harold. My question is when you are married to someone who has uh, either depression or a, severe, a debilitating uh, illness or disease, uh, how does the submission on the wife's part, how does that play out in the marriage uh, practically, um, especially when maybe the husband is physically or mentally unable to uh, lead at the time? How does that play out? Thank you, bye.
2: Um, I'd love to hear your your response to that. That's a very interesting question.
1: Well, because I listened to them when they came in um, I had, I've had i had a little bit of time to think about this. And I think if your husband is ill, let's just say he's ill, and you're having to take over responsibilities, maybe you're the one that's having to remind him to have family worship, or maybe he's not talking to you about spiritual things, or maybe he's just depressed, and and he's not necessarily leading the way that you would like him to, I still think you can honor him and submit to him, but I think you can still, I think you can still honor him. I think you can still submit to him while seeing that it is a work of necessity for you to maybe take over some things. Maybe you have, maybe your husband's very ill and you're leading family worship, but you're still doing that under your husband's authority. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, I think sometimes that, you know, we talk about submission and leadership and all that in marriage. Usually, we're talking about the normal case. You know, ninety-five mm-hmm. percent of marriages or whatever. There, there are these odd cases, and and I think, I mean, obviously, our answer is uh, talk to your pastor and elders. Uh, they're going to give you the best input, and they know you right. the best. Right, that's Be to that. Right, that's our that's our go-to answer, of course. But uh, you know, I think within that circumstance, you kind of have to figure out how how do I still submit to him although maybe I'm the one that has to work because he can't work. Or uh, maybe I'm, like you said, maybe I have to leave family worship because for whatever reason he can't. As long as you're not, I feel like as long as you're not overriding his, you know, okay. his desires, you know, even if he's not able to, you know, fully do what he wants to do, as long as you're not just like, you know, totally overriding his desires for your family, I think, you, you know, it's going to look different than than the typical situation um and i think that's okay you know i i it, it, there's it's not like you know not a godly marriage just because you're working outside of the home instead of him or because you have to leave worship because he can't um it's just different in that circumstance
1: yeah and i can actually speak
2: from the other side of it
1: here i'm a wife called to care for my home and my children and I became very sick. My husband had to take over many of my responsibilities. And Hmm. I think there's, and thankfully our children are older, so they're just amazing and such a huge help. So ladies, in a few years, I have four boys who can cook very well, (laughs) just kidding. I mean, they can, but um, you're not kidding. You know, I think on some of the practical things, we're we're really talking about the ideal situation because I know there's a question that's going to be coming up about a wife caring for her home too. So we're talking about ideal situations. And I think this is going to all go back to what we were just talking about. Go to your pastor. If you have a husband who's suffering with depression, your pastor needs to be involved in that situation because you are under your church's authority. Pastor and elders can help you Figure some of this out because they're going to know no two situations are the same, and you know that's a one-minute clip that you know of a question, and, and your pastor is going to know both of you. Your pastor is going to be able to help both of you work through this. So that would be what what I would say on that. I think always yeah. that that's most important. Just like Ashley said, we're not your authority. Your pastor
3: <laughs> is. Your authority.
2: Well, I, th- but, I think we I think we pretty much answered yeah. that one. We'll have to yep. hear the next one.
3: Hi, Colleen. Hi, Ashley. This is Amber Smitham. Um, I actually did have a quick question on last week's podcast on complementarianism. I'm pretty sure you guys um, addressed it thoroughly, but I just wanted to double check um, as far as it sounded like women are able to teach men under certain conditions. So would that include like if I were to read an author that's a woman with my husband, as far as like a parenting book, or if we were in a small group with mixed company, could we do a um, book by a woman's author and that is not in any violation of women teaching men? So that was my question. And thank you,
2: Beth. I love that question. That's, I I think that's exactly what we kind of were getting at. I don't think we answered that specifically. but I would say yes. I think it is absolutely okay to read a book by a woman in, in mixed company. Um, and what was the other part of her question? She well, said she was book. talking about with her husband. With her know, husband. Can... And it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, use discernment always with whatever I... book you're reading. Don't just read anything, of course. But um, I don't think there's anything wrong with reading a book by a woman rather than reading a book by a man. Um, because neither, you know, the man or the woman of the book you're reading have any authority and that's you know, we're going back to that right. whole thing, have any authority in over you. You're just reading the book. And you sometimes you read these Christian books and there's stuff you gotta kinda spit out, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't the best. But that could be that could be written by a, a woman or a man, I think. You know, I mean, Amy Bird said when she wrote her, her book, no little women, she specifically was thinking about pastors and elders and wanting them to hear what she had to say. So yeah, I, I I think, I think that's fine. And I think that, that Amber, her,
1: her example of a parenting book, you know, I can think of good parenting books by both men and by both women. And I think both would offer different perspectives. I Mm -hmm. think about, we had Scott Keith on the podcast and talked about his book, Being Dad, and he has a unique perspective, even though his book was primarily for fathers, I benefited from it. But then I look at someone like Elise Fitzpatrick and her book, Give Them Grace, and I think she offers something, you know, very specific that I think both mothers and fathers could benefit from. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking of is how often do we talk with our husbands about theology? How often? And I think that's okay. If I say, Hey honey, let me tell you about something I was reading Galatians today and mm-hmm. I saw this wonderful point and I'm telling him something. He could potentially learn something from me, but I think mm-hmm. my husband learns from me all the time. I learn from him all the time in different things. And I think that that's okay. You know, I think my husband likes that. I think he likes the challenge and the encouragement.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we, we answered that one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good question. I like that
3: okay. one. Hi, Colleen and Ashley. This is Janice sending you greetings from beautiful West Coast, Canada. Uh, here's my question for your complementarian episode. For all of us ladies who were taught ESS as a way to defend complementarianism, can you share a scriptural defense of complementarianism from a perspective that rejects ESS? I think a lot of us who now understand more about the problems with the ESS doctrine are now having to adjust our apologetic method in this area. So we welcome all the help we can get. (laughs) Obviously scripture does teach us the roles of men and women, husbands and wives, et cetera. Um, But what specific scriptures would you focus on when defending complementarianism as opposed to the ESS defense of it? So that's my question. Thank you ladies for all that you do and may our Lord bless you richly, bye.
1: That's such a great voicemail, isn't it? Yeah,
2: that's a great voicemail.
1: Well, you know, Ashley, this is something that we had kind of talked to Rachel about. So anyone who's wondering about this and hasn't listened to that episode. And one of the things that she said is we don't need eternal subordination of the son to say that God has created wives and husbands for, um, you know, equal but different roles. We can we still have so many verses in scripture and i think what i'm going to do ashley is is just read a few of those verses because i went through and i read these verses and there's no ess in any of them but the things in them remain true ephesians 5 wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body is himself its savior Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. The picture that we're actually given is Christ in the church. These things are still true. Here's another one, 1 Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And there's so many verses that talk about what we believe, what we've been saying all along through this series about a relationship between a husband and a wife. We don't need eternal subordination of the son to say those things. Okay. That's what I would say.
2: Do you have anything to add? That, no, I think, I mean, the, those are all really great references. and. Um, you can see that scripture is really clear about submission and leadership. It's really clear. Um, a, a wife should submit and a husband should leave, lead in an in a understanding, loving way. And I think I really feel that on this situation, you can just let scripture speak for itself. Uh, it, it doesn't really need any explaining. That you don't really need, you know, sometimes it's like understanding the the, the context and everything is really important which it is but it it just seems so clear in these instances what scripture is trying to say without any mention of the trinity or christ uh submitting to the father it's all about uh comparing it to the church and how the church is the bride of christ and and i think that's a a great comparison. If you want to, if you want to use a comparison that you see in scripture, that was really clear in those references. But um, I think otherwise, you can just let scripture speak for itself, right?
1: Because I, I know that you said that you realized later that you had been influenced in some women's books by mm-hmm. Charles Borjas eternal subordination. Not that you embraced it, but that it was there. Um, I wasn't, this was very new to me. I think if if I had read it in a book before, I don't, I don't recall. So I believed everything that I still believe about husband being head of the wife, a wife submitting to her husband. I my husband being, you know, the leader in our home. I believed all of those things without eternal subordination of the son because they're in
2: scripture. Yeah. And, you know, what's funny is because I I I think I mentioned before on the show that I, you know, in college, a bunch of us were reading these books because, you know, a lot of us were getting married soon. Um, like all my friends, we got married about the same year or so. So we're all reading these women's books about marriage. And they were mostly great books, but, you know, they, they just had this little bit of, of ESS and also the that interpretation of Genesis 3:16 that we talked about. And so one of my good friends, I called her after we did these episodes and I'm like, "Hey, like have you really thought about this? Like like I was like, do you remember learning this?" And we talked a bit, a bit about it. And she's like, "I totally remember that." And she's like, "You know what? I'm I'm going to talk to my husband about this cuz I, you know, I just hadn't considered, you know, that Genesis 3:16 could be read a different way or, you know, the I hadn't considered that whole Jesus submitting, like, what does that mean kind of thing. And it's funny because she came back to me with the same, you know, conclusion that I I arrived after hearing all this. We kind of both went, yeah, we learned this. I'm not sure why. We don't see it in scripture anymore. Um, We just kind of were influenced by these books that we read. And I'm sure, I'm sure some of our listeners can recall a book that they read. If, if they've really gotten to the point where they understand what this whole ess thing is about they can probably recall a book where this was totally taught you know um and it's not until uh i think with amy we talked about having discernment you know when we're reading it's not until you know you you're kind of growing in sanctification and learning and you know, learning how to discern things. And five, six years ago, I didn't have that discernment. Um, And now I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, wow, I can't believe uh, that was there. And we all just were like, yep, like, you know, in whatever women's study we were in, which was otherwise great study, you know, but, and I think especially when you're a new believer, you know, someone gives you a book about Christianity, whatever it's about, whatever topic it's about, you almost just take everything in the good and the bad. You just go, oh, okay, I, I'm so, I mean, unless you were raised in the church and know your theology really well already, when you're saved, I knew like zero theology. And so, luckily, I was at a really good church when I was saved, but, um, I read some bad books, you know, and I just kind of went, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that, that must be what that passage means, you know? And I think as you kind of are being sanctified and you're growing and your discernment is when you start to go, okay, not everything I read is truth and right. I need to be able to discern when I'm reading something that's true and when I'm not by comparing it to what scripture is saying. Um, but we're, we're all, and and you know what, there's things, I know there's things I I hold to now that I might have to reconsider in 5, 10, 20 years because I'm continuing to grow in my ability to discern, you know, thanks to the Holy Spirit and sanctification um, that I'm going to have to, you know, think through again and again. So, you know, we're kind of all on this,
4: right. <laughs> this
1: continuum, you know. Right. And I think, too, you made a good point when you're kind of new- mm-hmm to this reformed world and you start reading these books, you know, it's, you kind of want to look at it. And if you go in Facebook groups, they'll say, what is the reformed way of thinking about this? You know, apologetics or this sort of thing. And I think it's easy when you're new to that, to kind of pick up any book that has Calvinistic or reformed attached to it and trust that it's going to be accurate. And yes. we still need to study to make sure that these things are true. Yeah.
2: and. I'm going to be the good Presbyterian that I am and take this back to the local church and um, just how how beneficial it was for me to learn about three years ago that, oh, if I have a question I don't understand, I can ask my elders about it. And right. they're actually placed in a position of authority over me, and they actually you know went to seminary. They know, they've studied, they hold to the confessions, and they can answer it in a way that um, is good for me because they know me. Um, Where the first, you know, several years that I was a Christian, I sought my answers outside of the church, you know, from books and blogs and Facebook and whatever, friends, you know. Um, But, you know, being a Presbyterian that I am now, (laughs) so grateful for the local church. I mean, We'll have to, we haven't done an episode on this, uh, yet, but I remember when I heard about the the Christian Sabbath and the Lord's day, I was like, what, (laughs) what are you even talking about? Um, and I, I, I was so blessed that I could just walk up to my elder that Sunday and be like, Hey, someone said something to me about the Sabbath. (laughs) (laughs) Could you explain this to me? And he spent like 20 minutes kind of, you know, he was super smart, uh, very well read well studied guy um, and i was like oh okay <laughs> i get it. it it didn't take long for me to be convinced you know um but i that's what the local church is for you know right. being able to do that
1: and we are so, just so you know we are going to do an episode on the sabbath we even have mm-hmm. somebody we're going to ask to be as a guest so yeah. okay i'll gonna, say yes I we're going to we'll. move on to the next <laughs> one this this one comes from your neck of the woods but i have no idea who this person is i mean i know her first name but Ooh. Okay, well, this is from your neck of the woods.
2: West Coast, West Coast.
3: Hi ladies, my name is Rachel. Uh, my question is, what does it look like for a wife and mother that is the primary breadwinner in terms of her role to work in the home as described in places like Titus 2 or even the Proverbs 31 woman who works extensively within her household? The podcast lately has described the partnership of men and women and their equal value before God. But I'm curious if you could describe how to maintain the unique roles, even when there are more unusual circumstances, like a woman mm-hmm. who is the primary buzzer. I look forward to your response. Thank you, girls.
2: Wow, great question. Love it. Um, can I just, I'd like to comment on this um, just because I, well, in, with my husband and I, I'm we're both working right now, so I think, mine's a little different than what the caller's asking, but even in my household, I know that it looks different than, um, a household where, um, a wife is able to stay home and devote more time. I mean, and with my husband and I, we have to kind of balance out, you know, just different things and chores and, um, it's very difficult sometimes. I'm like, Oh, it'd be so much easier if I was just, you know, at home and able to take care of this all on my own. But, uh, you know, we're not able to do that right now. And so, um, so
1: Ashley, how does it, how does it look in your home while you're working and, and still caring for the home, still caring for your husband in more domestic ways? And I'm sure you probably share
2: some chores like you said. Yeah. So we, we mostly share, pretty equally the the chores I will say that you know me being the wife I have a better understanding of what needs to be done you know just I think yeah. all women listening know that you just have a good sense of your home and mm-hmm. I'm still kind of the the manager of the, the home the home even though I I work just as much as my husband does actually more right now because I'm getting a master's degree and um, But we just pretty much split things down the middle, uh, you know, in terms of dishes and laundry and and all that and puppy care and whatnot. Uh, But I I would imagine that if if you were the primary breadwinner um, of the home and you're the woman, that you still have the sense of what needs to be done what, like how, how the home should operate. And, and, you know, some, some women aren't as good at that as others. Some, some men are actually really gifted at, you know, knowing, you know, with chores and stuff. Like I, I have friends who like, they're like, my husband won't let me do the dishes cause <laughs> I, I don't do them the right way or something. And so the husband does all the dishes. But uh, I would imagine that even though the husband in that situation is probably doing more of the household you know, chores that you're still able to kind of manage from a distance. What, well, what do you think, Colleen? That I, it's I a think, unique, it's a unique situation. Yeah.
1: I, I really like, um, I really like what you said kind of about being still being the manager of the home, even though you're sharing responsibilities, you do have a sense of, I mean, I think we as women kind of take domain over our home. You know, these are, this is how we want it to look. You know, even if we have husbands who help us decorate and things like that, we still kind of, this is our area. And so I like what, I really like what you said about kind of being the manager of the home still, mm-hmm. even if your husband is sharing in there. And I think actually I'm gonna assume that the collar means that both husband and wife are working, that that's mm-hmm. what she's talking about. You think, okay,
2: Yeah. she's just the primary. She's a
1: primary, the primary breadwinner. breadwinner. Okay. Um, you know, I think this actually brings up something really important because um, I talked to, I've talked to a few gals who are in situations where um, the hus- both the husband and the wife work, and they don't even put their money together. Um, the The husband pays the mortgage, the wife pays the utilities. The wife is responsible for these things. The husband's responsible for these things. And when you're, I think that's a horrible idea. I think it's horrible. I think when you're married, you're now one. And so anything that you earn as a wife is both of yours now. Yeah. So I don't, even though you're working outside the home, I actually don't think being the primary breadwinner should change anything because this is now both your money and his money. And I think it's very unhealthy when people look at it. And I, I don't think the caller's doing this at all, but I've met people, you know, this is my money, that's his money sort of thing because you are married,
2: you right? Know? That sounds just crazy to me,
1: right? I mean, in, in my home and I'll highly recommend my husband and I have done the Dave Ramsey program, a couple of things we don't agree with, but we think it's great. And we, although we love YNAB for budgeting, wonderful budgeting software, but again, you know, I, I would probably submit to my husband when it comes to spending on some things. I mean, he wouldn't submit to me. Like, if we disagree, I, I will respect his his ultimate decision. But we do the budget together. We talk about what's mm-hmm. being spent. We're not on two different pages. This is not, It's very good to be doing it together. So if you're yeah. in that situation, I think probably maybe one of the hardest things is I have heard from a couple of women that they think their husbands – that it's hard for their husbands if they make more. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be a difficult thing. And so still – finding ways to show that you honor him as the head of your home, even even though you might be bringing in more money that you don't see that as something over him, but that he's still, you're still honoring him as head of, of your home, that you're still making decisions together. You don't get a more of a say on where money's spent because you
2: bring right. more money in. Your husband still has the last word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I wonder too, if the caller has experience, just I think sometimes in the church, it can be hard to be uh, a little bit different. Like, you know, just being for me, just working full time. Um, I'm very few women in my, you know, that I've met uh, in my church and whatnot work full time. So, you know, most women stay home and I, and I think it's kind of hard just to feel, okay, my marriage just does not look like, other women's marriages you know just because our work situation is different um and i'm you know I'm working full-time and just very different from it's not it's not better or worse it's just very different from a marriage uh where the wife's able to stay home you know it's just going to look differently and so uh i can understand where at times you feel like almost like you're doing something wrong uh, just because you're one of the very few women, you know, <laughs> uh, in your presbytery, your church, whatever that is working full time outside the home and, and you're not, it's just your, your marriage is going to look a little different and your husband is still the leader. You're still the wife, you're still submitting, <laughs> but what that looks like is probably going to look different right. than a marriage where the wife stays home, husband's working, you know, a little more right. traditional situation.
1: Right. And even if you're the primary breadwinner, you can still be a manager of the home. You know, if you're the primary breadwinner, one way you might do that is hire a housekeeper to come in once a a week. And and that's okay. That's okay. I mean, that may be a way that you're choosing to manage your home. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think it changes anything though. Ultimately, I just think it changes
2: practically how it looks. Right. Yeah. Like, like with, with my husband and I, like there you kind of have to see like what what is your husband gifted at and what are you gifted at like for example I have a degree in math I love spreadsheets and I love numbers so I actually do our whole budget on our spreadsheet it's so fun for me and then we kind of sit together and look at it and you know tweak a little some things together but I'm the one that enjoys actually like Mm -hmm. taking all the money and putting it together you know Um, just because that's something I'm gifted at like I obviously have you know i'm good with numbers um a lot of people i know it's their husband that's good with numbers and that's fine too as long as you're both you know like you said coming together um my husband's much better doing dishes than i am like he's just more attention to detail like i don't know i'm more of a big picture person and so he probably does dishes more than i do but then there's things like my husband probably wouldn't think oh the floors need to be swept and mopped right. but i I have to have clean floors. Like I'm, you know, and so, you know, he might do more dishes, but I'm more likely to clean the floors. That's okay. It's not like, gosh, my husband's doing dishes. I'm not managing my home. I should be doing that. You know, it just, that's just how it works for us. Right. And he's not doing them because you're neglecting
1: to (laughs) yeah, because he wants to help. Well, well,
2: sometimes maybe
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's, that's that's Uh, off the air. air. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I, I think in that situation too, and, and if it is something to Rachel who called in, if it is something that you're struggling with and having a difficult time kind of wading through this situation, i think you should talk to your pastor you should you and your husband both talk to your pastor you know i i know that a lot of people live in areas where they simply cannot afford for the wife to stay home it's just not even possible Mm -hmm. and so i know that those situations you know happen and for various reasons you know a lot of women do work i know a lot of our listeners do work and so i think it's i think it's a good good question i think you can still honor your husband i think you can still submit to your husband i think you can still manage your home i think all of those things and like ashley said it's just going to look different than it might for me um who stayed home for 21 years
2: so. yeah i you know when i first got married you just you just go into marriage with <laughs> all these ideas you just sort of like you know, I'm, I'm the wife, so I should be doing the dishes. I should be doing the cooking. I should be, you know, doing this, 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 and this. And then, you know, as you get, you know, more into marriage, you just realize there's things I'm good at, there's things he's good at, and we kind of have to figure out what look, what it looks like for us. Mm -hmm. I know that comparing yourself to other people, just not good, not good. It just, Who was it? Theodore Roosevelt that said comparison is the thief of joy. You know, it just, I'm probably someone's going to write us. That was not Theodore Roosevelt that said that. Oh, well. Um, but you just, you have to figure out what works for you and don't, don't feel bad. I guess that you're in, you're in that situation and you might be in the minority in your church setting that is in that situation.
1: Right. And I think it's really important to remember that a lot of the practical things, we've talked about doing an episode on the mommy wars. And mm. what I mean by that is all these different things. Well, I homeschool and I use attachment parenting, I use Baby Wise. I you know, mm-hmm. breastfeed, you know, these, these different things. None, none of that is, is actually in scripture. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about is the practical application of what this looks like. And yeah. so therefore you can still be mindful of all the things were commanded in scripture. Mm-hmm. You can still be mindful of all those things, but you know, I think there are some practical things that may come up. And I, I think if it's something that's causing long-term conflict in your marriage, then it might be time to talk to your pastor or you know what, even if you're just uncomfortable and you're thinking, I don't know, I'm just having a hard time with this. Talk to your pastor. You know yeah. pastors have a lot of wisdom so I'm gonna go this is our last one and it's in two mm-hmm. parts because I think it cuts people off at two minutes so um, but it's a great question so I'm gonna go to this one
4: hi Colleen uh, I have a question regarding complementarianism uh, particularly we uh, I know we've acknowledged that the uh, woman uh, as wife submits to her husband um, as it says in Ephesians 5 and we also know that women in the church submit, as do all church members submit to the pastors and elders of the church. Um, my question is, wh- where else do we go with this? Because um, it does, it, it, and this is my assumption, it does seem that in the creation account in Genesis 2, where, uh, where we're told that God created man, in his image, male and female, he created them uh, with distinctive characteristics being male and female and also the either uh, uh, descriptor there, you know, uh, made for him. We also know from 1 Corinthians 11 that uh, woman was created for man and that man was not created for woman. However, uh, man is, is uh, born from woman so in that same passage it says that both are from god so um we do have all this sort of tension of um equal in dignity, value worth um but yet distinctiveness um and whether that distinctiveness um means some sort of natural uh you know, naturally being created for a woman to be more submissive, and uh, the man to be more assertive. There's still a more. Hi, I'm sorry, I think I, uh, I hung up accidentally. So just real quick to continue. Are there, is there ontological distinction between male and female, being, given that we were created um in uh in god's image but as male and female um and if not ontological differences then what is the creational inherent difference like how do we talk about that and how does it you know practically work out in our lives as male and female not just husband and wife not just pastor and lady but actually as male and female in spheres of life um is there some sort of an innate submissive uh tendency that a woman is is created or endowed with that that we should be nurturing um not to say that men aren't submissive they are of course but maybe the female um version of mankind is intended to be more um more submiss- submissive anyway um thank you Jobless. that uh,
2: wow that's a good question yeah. um i i totally understand her question i i think that's yeah. something i that's puzzled me before i've thought about that and i think the answer is yes and no um and let me explain what i mean by that um, and this is just my own understanding so colleen i'd love to have you correct me but we we are created like she mentioned an ontological difference we do have a difference and we're women are naturally like she i think she mentioned nurturing women are naturally more nurturing uh more compassionate men are naturally more assertive they're naturally more our leaders um she's absolutely right there is a difference and that difference is good and i think that difference enables us to fit into our roles as wives um in our marriages um i i i think it's okay for a woman in general society to be naturally more nurturing in her relationships i do not think that means she needs to submit to other men but i think that that's just that's who women are that's you know, we we're made. We're different. We are distinct from men, and I think we should celebrate that. You know, in two thousand seventeen, when our culture is not celebrating that, um, but I think we need to be clear that that means sure we have differences, and those differences are great, and they they equip us in our marriages to um, to fulfill our roles. But I that does not mean um, that does not mean we're um, I'm having a hard time putting words to it, but that does not mean, I guess I said it already, submitting to all men. We're not, because we're more nurturing or more submissive naturally, that does not mean positionally we are in submission to all men. It just means naturally that's the outpouring of who we are.
1: Yeah, I and I think when we talked about the Genesis 3.16, I think this goes right into that discussion because, Think about the Genesis 3.16 and what Ashley said. It does not mean, even though God did make us different, we we still affirm that God made us different. Um, but when it comes to submission, we just don't believe that all women submit to all men. We think in Scripture it's very clear that it's to the church and it's to our own husbands. Right. And, you know, I think about just naturally women are feminine, even if you're a tomboy, you're, you're not a, you know, a pink dress wearing woman or something, you're still feminine. Your husband's more masculine. I mean, it's you, you cannot deny, even with all this stuff going around where letting children choose their own gender, you know, silliness, it is so obvious. It's, it's so obvious if you, if you're a mom, you know this already. You know, I wasn't going to let my kids play with guns and my son was 2 and he got his first set of Legos and he made a gun and was going around shooting everything. I have no idea even how he knew what it was. And that that's boys. All you do is watch little boys and little girls play. And the girls are going and they got their doll and and they um, they're pushing around in the stroller and everything like that and the boys are over in the other corner wrestling. You you can't deny the differences that are there even though some you know, so, some men and women are going to be at different extremes of that feminine and masculine, but it is very obvious that God did create us differently. And Ashley, don't you think this kind of fits into what we talked about with David Van Drunen and vocation, where you can use those things which make you a woman in your vocation?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some people will say, oh, we need more, we need more women in these career fields and more men in these fields like I think of nursing because I have a lot of friends who are nurses. I think it's not on accident that, I mean, if you look at the large majority of nurses as their women, not to say men can't do that job well because right. I, I know several men who work, like one of my friends works locally here in the ER as a nurse. But I think because that, that um, career draws on that compassion, that empathy, that wanting to care for others, women gravitate towards that. And I did want to point out, when we're talking about this, we're not saying all women are compassionate, nurturing, and this. We're talking, I think some people who've, you know, studied like philosophy and stuff, I've probably heard the term law of averages. We're saying in general, you know, women tend to be more, you know, compassionate and things like that. but. We've all met a woman in our life who is not nurturing, you know, not compassionate, not any of those things. So it doesn't mean, you know, 100% of women are, but just, you know, the law of averages, I think is true, where men tend to fit in this category, women tend to fit in this category. Um, And you're right, it does allow us to, to do vocations that, you know, I think of all the elementary, almost all the elementary school teachers I know are women. Um, and I think that's not an accident and there's nothing wrong with that. And I actually, I actually do have a friend who's a male elementary school teacher and he is six, six, looks like a very intimidating guy and he's a great teacher. Um, but I mean, gosh, 98% of the elementary school teachers I know are, are women. Um, and that's, that's okay. You know, right.
1: Yeah. I was even thinking about this. Um, and obviously this isn't the the marriage situation, but when my kids would, fall and get hurt. They did not run to my husband. They ran to me. Hmm. You know, when they were little. They wanted mommy to comfort them. So, you know, there are that there are things, ways that God has has made us that are different from one another. And hmm. when it comes together, it's beautiful when it comes together in marriage.
2: Yeah. And I like the caller affirmed that we're equal in value. And I understand where her question comes from. Like, I, I totally do. Cause it, and I think, I think part of it is when we try to explain our view to the secular world, it just sounds so crazy. Like (laughs) there's no way around it. You're like, so you're telling me you're equal in value, but a wife is supposed to submit. How does that mean equal in value? You know? And how does that not mean lesser in value all the time? You know? Um, so I, I agree. It sounds crazy, you know, to the outside world. Um, sounded crazy to me before I was a Christian. Um, yeah, no, but it is great question. And you
1: know what? I think we have to revisit this, uh, this topic because there's so much I would love to even say on that. And, I think in the future, we might just have to revisit some of these things sure, in more detail since we- When we get more horse smells. episode, and, and now we're doing a little bit of a longer one. Uh, I just think there's so much to talk about, and I think things are going to continue to come up. Questions are going to continue to be raised, and we need to continue to talk about these things. And I thank you so much, ladies. I actually did um, do a drawing for the winners awesome. for a book. Um, for all the people that called, I included all of you. The last one didn't include her name, but I included her in the drawing too. And
4: Who's it winner? goes
1: to – got to look now and, to, and tell you, because I have this, this uh, drawing thing I use online. So, and I'm going to tell you our winner is Crystal. Crystal. So, awesome. Color, so, and so what excited. is Crystal winning? <laughs> She's winning a book from one of our guests and it'll be a surprise. So awesome! I think it'd be kind of fun for her to not know what it is and get it in the mail.
2: Yeah. So if, if our callers would like to call and leave more voicemails, what number do they call Colleen?
1: They can call nine five one four zero seven zero two three four. Somebody has donated some things and I think we can say, let's run another contest for People who leave a comment or a question on any topic in the month of September. What do you think? Okay.
2: Yeah, sounds great. And no right then we'll So if you can leave us a comment on iTunes uh, or just on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere like that, is that what you're saying? Oh, I meant a
1: voicemail, but we could, why don't we do two? Oh, contests? okay. Because somebody actually sent me a box of things to give away
2: so let's do a okay. contest so and one for voicemails one for, for online. Uh, itunes comments and facebook shares and twitter shares
1: yes i'll figure out the best way to do it and i'll put it on um facebook uh, this week, after this episode airs. Mm-hmm. So, well, I know we weren't a- probably weren't able to answer some of the questions in as great of detail as we would have liked to, but we will revisit this topic. If you still have more questions on complementarianism, send them in. We're going to do a question and answer episode sometimes in the next couple of months, and we can answer some of those then. And then also, it might give us good topic ideas for the future. Yeah, we're going to um, be right back and do our yeah about that segment.
0: Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At trackplanet.com we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new tract just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at trackedplanet.com and make sure you use coupon code B-T-W-N at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's T-R-A-C-T planet.com, coupon code B-T-W-N.
1: All right, Ashley, you told me you have a good bit of not-so-great theology for our Yeah About That segment.
2: Yeah, about that. So... (laughs) This is what I came up with, and there's no way around this. I have to do a direct quote, but I will not say what I'm quoting. Okay, this person said, It's so important that we don't elevate the Bible written by men to the place of Jesus himself. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life.
1: Hmm. I already know who said it because I saw it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The person got a little bit of attention for saying that. I saw some responses that people were saying, yeah, the words of Jesus in scripture are more important than the words of Paul.
2: (laughs) I was like, oh, no. Yes. So I wanted this to be a very short, yeah, about that segment because I feel like this is a pretty simple one. We are not red letter Christians. We don't only read the words Jesus said. We hold all of Scripture as authority, as inerrant, and I was also thinking. As God breathed. God breathed. And I was also thinking, once you start dismissing the inerrancy of Scripture, you are on a slippery slope to a whole bunch of other things
4: yeah I um, think
1: this person is so far down yeah place. so you are
2: in troubled waters um, mm-hmm. I pray that if if you if you are thinking that maybe not all of scripture is God breathed, maybe only the words Jesus said that you will repent um, and believe that God's word is true every single word of it even what Paul says uh, Gosh, Old Testament everything uh, just that you would believe every single word is true. Every Sunday my pastor says, oh, now I can't think of it. He says, the flowers, the flowers wither and the grass fades, but the the word of the Lord endures forever. endures forever. He says that every Sunday when he reads God's word, we all stand while he reads whatever passage it is we're going through. And I just love that reminder every week and that we stand during that part of the service just as like a paying like a, we're respecting that this is God's word. And no matter what he's reading, it is God's word. And it is true.
1: Right. It's either a hundred percent God's word and infallible or it's not. Or it's zero percent. Yeah. Right. Even if you say, well, Jesus words I take as a hundred percent and everyone else's I take as 99.9999, that that's not biblical. That's actually completely contrary to the very things Mm -hmm. in scripture. So I think that's a good that's a good one, Ashley. So, ladies, I will put I'll put on our page tomorrow, or today or tomorrow when this episode comes out um, the actual details for the contest we're going to run. Since somebody sent me some thing a box of stuff for giveaways, and then also you can find us on BibleThumpingWingnut.com. Click on Theology Gals. All of our contact information is there. If if you don't remember our number, our number. If you go to any of the episodes you'll see all of our information, our phone number, our email, our Twitter, our Instagram, which we don't post as much on, and our Facebook. So, we really appreciate all of you ladies listening. We ladies who left us voicemails, thank you so much. They were great questions. Great I was questions. So excited listening yeah. to those questions. I just thought these are perfect. I just, I think it was a great way to wrap up this complementarianism series with, and they were, I loved how the questions were all different and they did hit on things that we had talked about. So thank you to all of you who left, who left voicemails. And we just, we just thank you for the feedback that we've gotten from, from different ladies and for listening. And we will see you next week.